Turn with me to Titus 1. We're not going to cover a lot of ground in Titus, but we're going to cover a very important subject. One that I believe that the church has missed in emphasizing over the years. I was very fortunate in Bible college to have met Gail Irwin. And Gail was pastoring a Assemblies of God at the time. This was back in the early 80s. And um, he was in the process of writing his first book. I think he had the manuscript done, hadn't printed anything. But he was sure teaching it a lot. Jesus style. It goes way back for some of you who remember our brother Gail, who still survives. Yeah, we have it in, in, in then this father style, the spirit style. He finished all three of them over his course. But that was, I was so grateful. I was probably in the Lord about six or seven years. And I was busy in the ministry serving, but it, the whole nature of Jesus just revolutionized my life. Um, and so tonight, as we look at chapter one here, I'm not going past the third word, Paul, a bondservant. And so I'm going to, by the grace of God, show you the inner attitudes of a servant. I'll, we'll start with the historical basis of that from the Old Testament, why Paul pulls that in here and uses it, doulos. We'll go to Ephesians and look at the inner attitude of a bond slave. And then, of all the servants in the New Testament beyond Jesus, Paul's right up there. He's a template. He is a an example of what it means to be a slave by choice. And so, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. I mean, those first three verses which we're going to cover tonight, I mean, they're just power-packed. And I think it's easy to just blow through these. And I was just arrested right away with the first one, a bondservant. And a doulos uh, is a slave by choice. It is one who works without pay. I think that's one of the best ways to find out whether or not a man is called to the ministry is that person willing to serve God and serve God's people without pay? You know, we have far too many professional ministers. And it seems as to me that in the corporate world, the, uh, the higher you climb, you know, the higher the rung you, you achieve, the less actual work you do. And it's just flip-flopped. It's the Lord's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. I mean, with the, you know, Jesus is the epitome of this, right? I mean, nobody served more and grand, more grander, more perfectly than he did. I mean, the very night that he was betrayed, he got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. I am one among you who serves. And then the ultimate service of laying down his life and 
becoming our, our atoning sacrifice. Amazing. But Paul, as does, uh, as do the other apostles and writers in the New Testament, speak of themselves as servants of the Lord. And 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 that they're the Lord. It's, you know, notice he says they're of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He it's not just he's not serving somebody else. He's serving an unseen master, unseen to the human eye, to the physical realm, but not on the inner man. That means he belongs to Christ. He belongs to God. And that's how you and I must see ourselves as his people. We are bought and paid for. We are not our own anymore. It's not, well, I want to do this or I want to be that. It's not up to you anymore. When you became a Christian, you unknowingly signed the dotted line, so to speak, and said, not my will, but yours be done. And so a slave is some is a person that's owned by another. You are bought with a price. You are owned by Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, slaves could be purchased uh, from other owners. And sometimes uh, slavery happened because of debt. I find it ironic that people in America were the land of the free are part of the most enslaved people in, on the planet. Oh, we get to do whatever we want, do we? Do you? It's a sobering question. You know, we have to go to work. We have to pay our bills. We have to do a lot of things. You know, we're, we're being driven by something other than our own desires on occasion. It's just the way it is. You know, since we have indebted ourselves, we feel compelled to serve our masters, our, our employers in the workplace in order to pay those things, pay for those things that we've indebted ourselves with. And so, that's, um, I'm going to harp on that, but it's a sobering thing. You know, who's really controlling my life then? What's really driving me? These are these are things that need to be thought about. These are these are not uh, words that just to fall to the ground, but they should grip our hearts. And you know, who am I, what am I doing with my life? How am I? What, where am I going with this? What's the what, what's it all about? And so many people would just do what we have to do. We just sort of get caught up in it. We're not really thinking through the activities that take our time and direct our lives. But the idea of being a bond slave is found in Exodus 21. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm just going to read uh, the scriptures uh, because the Lord uh, knew that there would be people who would take risks and blow it and indebt themselves to others. And so rather than just ignore that possibility, he knew that it would be a reality. And it was a reality in the ancient world. It's it has it as a reality in our present day. And so rather than ignore it, the Lord lays out ways in which slaves were to be treated and how they could actually earn their freedom. And I think that's a wonderful thing that the Lord in His grace has provided for us. So Exodus 21, 2 says, If you buy a Hebrew slave, 
he shall serve six years. And then the seventh year he shall go free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. His master has given him a wife, and she's borne him sons and daughters. The wife and her children shall be her, her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will no, not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He also shall bring him to the door, or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of the daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. If he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. And so you can see the Lord lays out the various guidelines here uh, and is to be that, that everyone can be dealt with in, with in grace. And there's still that free choice of the individual. And so, without going into that, we'll move along here. Uh, that is the basis of what Paul is talking about. He is, as it were, said, I do not want to go out free from the Lord. I want to serve my master. He's allowed himself to have his ear pierced and a ring put in there that, that would illustrate to those looking on, metaphorically speaking, that I am a slave of Jesus Christ by choice. I choose to do that. And so this is the way it is with Christians. And this is so important. You can become the servant of the Lord that you want to become. No, it's, for, it's not forced. It's a personal choice. I mentioned this a little bit Sunday. It seems that Peter, James, and John uh, seemed to have a, a closer walk with the Lord. They were sort of that inner three that were spent a, lot, a little more time and they did certain activities with Jesus that the other nine... Uh, we're not a part of the, you know, the miracles, uh, Mount of Transfiguration. You know, they wanted a deeper walk with the Lord. They wanted to be close to Jesus. And I think that that's a, a pretty obvious thing as you observe uh, the Gospels there. So you can choose to go a little deeper with the Lord. It doesn't make you less a son, less a daughter of the Lord if you choose not to. It's up to you. What kind of relationship do you have? What want to have with Jesus? Do you want to have the kind of relationship that you fully disclose everything to Him and nothing is hidden? You're just you're as transparent as you can possibly be with Him because you already know He knows everything anyway. And we're naked before Him, right? So you're just real, and you tell and you share everything with the Lord, and you long to be filled with His Spirit to be just hear His voice and to be close to Him. That's what it means to me to become a slave by choice. You're totally engulfed in the, your personal relationship with the Lord. And to be in that kind of relationship is to be free indeed. So I want to look, turn with me to Ephesians 6. Like I said, not much coverage in Titus, but some other scriptures 
uh, to support what we're talking about here. More of a topical, if you will. Slaves by choice. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those <coughs> who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing services to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he shall receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So I know this is kind of talking about that relationship that a, a, a slave has with his master, but I, I want to take it in the light of our personal relationship, our slave slavery, if you will, to the king of kings. That's how Paul saw himself. He's a slave of the eternal king, not, not Caesar's slave, not a slave of the world system, but the Lord's slave. First of all, a slave surrenders his rights. You know, once you you've, you're, you're indebted, you realize you know I could be locked up in prison forever for the debt, and I could be required to pay that debt. There's no escaping the debt. But you know what happened on our behalf. Our master paid the debt for us, and now we see ourselves as eternally indebted to him for the debt that he paid on our behalf. And so as a result of surrendering that, we're now, as a result of that, we're now surrendering our rights. We're not holding on to them. And in doing so, we're now subjecting ourselves to their regulations, their will, their preferences. You know, when you take a job in this world, you hope that you have a good and fair-minded employer. Unfortunately, we do have some freedoms here that if you don't like the guy you work for, you can just quit. <laughs> There's no quitting in our part. We either come the Lord's way or we don't come at all, right? We either humble ourselves or, or we don't. Because that's what a slave does. He's called to obey. He's called to submit. He's, call, he's called to come under for the sake of order. And they do that. You really have a submitted heart there, notice he says, with fear and trembling. And so what are we talking about? They're talking respect. Respecting the Lord. And I think, to me, there's so much of, gets slid under the rug of grace. Like, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want because after all, we're under grace. Well, that's not, grace is not without rules. It's not without convictions. It's ruled by love. And what we consider grace and you know, we can get away with is really self selfishness. Grace is others centered. Love is others centered. So this whole idea of, of coming under and showing respect is 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 given with humility, you know, with trembling. That that there's there's just this awe like this is very important to my master. I must listen and pay attention so that I can do what he is saying the way he's wanting it done. 
I want to please my master. That, that is the way respect and trembling and sincerity is, is fleshed out. Those are, these are the inner attitudes. We obey, we show respect, and, and, and honestly, there are certain things that we're called to do that we don't really like the idea of doing them. I mean, when you're a kid and you're told to clean your room, well, it isn't really what you wanted to do, but you know you needed to do it. Who likes cleaning bathrooms as a kid? You know? As an adult. As an adult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to mention, you know, right? <laughs> you know, there are a number of things that are grievous, that, but they just they need to be done. One of the things, you know, growing up on a farm it really has a way of mortifying your flesh in that regard because you, you know, if you don't take care of the cattle, the cattle aren't going to survive on their own. So you got to get up in the morning, you got to do it at night, and you, you, it, whether it's cold out and raining out, it's it, got to be done. And you just push through the hard things. And that's an important aspect of, of like, you just, you're committed in your heart to do the right thing because it needs to be done. You, and then in the ministry, well, let's just put it this way. People can be very selfish. Well, leaders can be very selfish. We're just that's our we're prone to be that way, and we we want to put on. Sometimes I'm thankful you guys don't do any of this though. I mean, they, they want to put on the leadership certain things, and lay expectations at their feet, and and really, they're not things that God would necessarily want done. It's it's, the, it's to their preference, and it you know sometimes it's just hard, hard not to say something back. And so you just, that's part of the ministry. You learn to, to serve the people who don't really appreciate what you are doing for them. <laughs> and so I'm just being candid. I mean, it just, you know, people are people. And, um, and like I say, you know, the, 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 this particular fellowship, I, haven't, I don't have that issue. But I have experienced that over the years. And I am blessed... Uh, when it, that is absent, and the, when you do get put in a situation, when nobody's, you know, complimenting or nobody's appreciating or really understanding how good they really have it, like your children sometimes, you do your work as unto the Lord. We're not, you know, we're not doing it to, oh well. I hope they really see what I'm doing here to, you know, to catch the eye service. We're doing it as unto the Lord. Who cares who sees? The Lord sees. The Lord is watching. The Lord is paying attention. And that's a discipline to realize that he, I am not doing this for the people, although they are the beneficiaries of it. And I am, in one sense, doing what I do is unto you. But more importantly, I am doing it for the Lord. This is what, you know, I'm doing what He has called me to do. And, and hopefully the people uh, in, in my obedience are blessed because of it. That's the objective. And if people don't appreciate that, well, there's not much you can do about that. And, and if I make mistakes, then God help me to grow up, help me to be a better servant and do a better job. So those are some of the inner attitudes that are, need to be present for those of us who've chosen to be the Lord's slave. Now, as I stated earlier, <clears throat> let's go to Paul's um, 
you know, illustrative life in this area. I think his whole life was that of a servant. Acts 20. And we find him on the way back, headed to Jerusalem from one of the missionary trips. And on his way back through, he wants to stop. He's not. He doesn't have time to go inland all the way to, to Ephesus, so he's just going to meet him on the coast there at Miletus. Well, he was in Miletus, and he called from there, and then they met a little bit. They came west to meet him at the coast there. And so we pick it up in Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, trials, that happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, and among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face, no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you, everyone, night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, you should support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, souring most of all that for the words which he spoke, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. So we have a nice little past, present, and future aspect of Paul's servant's heart. And I want to say this because I'm going to back up and I want to read the next 13 through 16 because there's something in there that's vital to you and I being a, being able to fulfill our stewardship. And so he's he's crossed over from 
Macedonia into the Asia Minor. And he's in that top part there, Miletus, Troas and all. And, and, and so you get the idea there how, how they're traveling. He said, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Essos, and there intending to take Paul on board. So he had given orders intending himself to go on foot. And then he met us at Essos, and we took him on board and came to Mytilene, and we sailed there. And the next day came opposite of Kos, and the following day we arrived at Semos, stayed in Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so they would not have to spend time in Asia, where he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. I bring this up because after he makes land, and instead of, if you look at, get your little map out and check this out, because it's kind of a neat little deal, he decides to walk over the mountaintop, or take the trail, and go to the next city while the boat goes around the perimeter and comes back in inland to the port. Why did Paul want to do that? Why did Paul want to go on foot? I believe he needed time with the Lord. I believe that there's something about walking that if you when you're walking around that your your brain gets in a mode and it begins to function in a way that you can really order your thoughts and pull things together. It's a good way to um, meditate and and to assimilate certain things that are going on in your life. And so we the verses I just read there um, 17 um, through. 38, that was a result. What Paul has written here, that was a result of his time of being on foot. He knew exactly what he was going to share with the elders that came to meet him from Ephesus when he arrived there at Miletus. He was able to formulate what needed to be said since he was not going to see these people anymore. He want, he, there was something that he wanted to impart to them that he felt was very important. And I believe uh, that it, it was the idea of being a servant. This is what is so desperately needed in the church today. We have too many superstar pastors and people that are not willing to clean toilets, pick up trash, and do the menial things because after all that's for the, you know, the, the new guys on staff you know, or whatever reason justification might be given. We need servant-hearted people in leadership. So he's, you know, and he says, you know from the first day how I lived. We should be able to look at our leadership in the church and, and see whether or not they're servants. You know, there are, <laughs> there are sheep, there are sheepdogs, and there are wolves. And the question you have to ask yourself, which one are you? you know, some people are sheep, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's some people that are leaders of sheep. They're sheepdogs. They, you know, they, they're a little more active, right? With good intentions. But then they're also wolves, right? But Paul said, he served the Lord. And that's something, as we know, nothing that we do in the name of the Lord will be forgotten. Nobody else may ever see, may ever recognize. God never forgets. God sees it all. And never forget that. How did he serve the Lord? With humility. You can't really serve the Lord without it. 
If you serve in pride, you're really serving yourself because it's being motivated out of self. We can only really, the service that we do before the Lord only really counts if we're doing it in humility, in a submitted way as unto Him. And so Paul, think about Paul here. He, he's, he's being really transparent. He's without arrogance, without pride. There's no spirit of, you know, dictatorial spirit, you know. He has no desire to lord it over people. I mean, think of this guy's incredible testimony. You know, he had a, he had a rock concert on his very first missionary trip, and he was it wasn't the kind you hear music. It was thumps with rocks on the head. And that's probably when he had his his vision of the third heaven. And it didn't get any better after that. <laughs> Beaten, persecuted, and this guy was just willing to serve. He didn't walk around, I'm an apostle. I mean, I guess blows my mind, these guys that uh, call themselves modern day apostles. I could say something there, but I'll refrain. You know, especially when they're talking about having their airplanes and their nice modes of transportation all because of their apostolic authority it's not a result of that let's just leave it there Paul served the Lord with humility and with tears you know he, Paul wept with those who wept and he rejoiced with those who rejoiced that's what we do and we're going to if we're really Paul got down in there with the people he mixed it up. I mean, he was there. He was one of them. He saw himself as a brother. I mean, he, he, that is modeled by Jesus himself. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't call us slaves or servants. He calls us friends. Now, we, that's up to him, right? When you say that's up to the Lord to call us his, his friends. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm not there, you know, in that sense. I'm his servant. I want to keep it there. But he is my friend. You know, I don't want to take away from what he said. But first and foremost, I want to see myself as his slave. Whatever you say, command ye me, you know. It needs to be first and foremost. Paul was a tender-hearted man, but he was tougher than nails. You, you know, they say you, you have to have the skin of a rhino, all right? You know, you just kind of let it run off, but you have to have a... Just a tender heart, you know, just a just a, a broken, sensitive heart, and that's a rare combination. It says he served the Lord uh, with humility, with tears, and he served the Lord in his trials. You're serving the Lord if you're being resisted. The Jews, we're not going to spend a lot of time with that, and then also. Among the false brethren. If there's ever a day we need a discernment in the church, it's now. There are people that just don't, do not have pure motives. They are wolves. This is what he's warning the, the church in Ephesus about. Look, I know what is going to happen when I leave. When I'm not going around, they're going to rise up from within the church and they're going to come from without and invade the church. Someone asked Paul, or asked Pastor Chuck, what he thought would happen to Calvary Chapel after he 
would go home to be with the Lord. And Chuck didn't hesitate. He said, I know the wolves are coming. You know, I tell you, there's ever time we need strong leadership and servant-hearted people. It's right now because, you know, not that they're totally connected here, but one of the things that concerns me in the church today is that we have these popular preachers who have no respect for the Old Testament. If you've been paying attention at all, uh, when we went through Exodus and Leviticus, one of the things you cannot miss, unless you're just totally not paying attention, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of God comes through those books like no other passages in the Scripture. I mean, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it's just, it's right there. It is the fear of the Lord. So you're saying that the church of Jesus Christ no longer needs that influence from the Old Testament, i.e. the fear of the Lord. And I say, we need it more now than ever. The respect and fear of the Lord. Paul's the kind of guy, as he said, he held nothing back. And that that isn't something... There are those who think, well, you know, I told them what I really thought. I don't think he's talking about that. There are those, you know, I hear people say, you know, they sort of, it's sort of like a, a badge of honor if you just speak your mind. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think Paul, what he received, he gave. And, you know, you kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to show this so good. You know, I want to keep that for myself. Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, give away my, you know, my fire here, well, it's not yours. You know, that's the way you have to look at it as a pastor. You just give it all. You just, you just, you just deliver the message. It's not yours. It's his. I held nothing back. I gave you what was helpful. And that's really our objective as ministers of the gospel. I, I taught you privately and publicly. And here's the ministry. There's a lot of these ministries. It's all about the public. Do they ever take the time to be with the people and spend time with them and share with them one one and one? Oh well, well we let the the guy other guys on staff do that. I just I'm the anointed teacher, you know. Okay. Paul mixed it up. He taught them the truth: repentance towards God, faith towards the Lord Jesus. It never gets beyond that, right? So that was as Paul looked at himself, his past ministry to these people. And his missionary journeys. And then the present. He says in verse 22, I now go bound. I am, and this is the way you have to look at your, I am bound to this direction that God has given me. I am driven. And you look at some of the, those who, who, who have outstanding testimonies among the church over the years. There was, they were driven people. They were controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of their ministries were quite evident would substantiate that. Sometimes Paul, he does mention negative things, but he accentuates to, only to accentuate the positive. Now I go bound in the Spirit. Notice that he's, he's, he's talking about a personal relationship with God. He's not in, Paul's not in a religious person. He's in love with Jesus Christ. And he's on a mission of his master. 
I'm bound in the spirit. Not knowing what things will happen to me. And isn't that true? We don't know what's going. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming down exactly. And we don't need to know. We just need to be faithful day by day. And all these guys who who come across in their arrogance, well, this is, I prophesy, or I believe, this is what's going to happen. You know what? Do is it really? Does anybody ever call these people out when it doesn't happen? I believe in the gift of prophecy. Don't don't get me wrong. I have I've been I've had so many prophecy updates over my lifetime. I'm I'm done with prophecy updates. I'm just done. I just want to live my life pleasing to God every day and love the people that I'm serving and love the Lord. And if he gives me something to share beyond that, well, then I'll do that. But if other than that, I'm just not going to do that. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't really need to know to be faithful to God in my service. I don't. It's not, you know, it's as you need to know type basis, and I'm okay with that. You should be too. I'm not moved by the things that could happen to my life. As he says, I don't count my life dear to myself. You will never, and I will never, accomplish what God has called me to do or you to do if you count your life as something special. You're special to God. That's sufficient. That's enough. He's going to take care of you. I'm not talking about living your life with reckless abandon and being reckless with things. I'm talking about just, it's not for us to worry about that. Neither do, I mean, Paul, he was in the deep. I mean, think of his, his experiences, the persecutions. I mean, I just it's just unbelievable what this man went through. I'm pretty sure he didn't really care if he lived or died, in that sense. And that's what we're talking about. You know, years ago there was a movie series came out, The Band of Brothers. And there was a couple guys that were just like exceedingly brave or as some people would look at me, you're really stupid. But they risked their lives for the, for the group. And one of the things that came out in, as they talked among themselves when the, when the bullets were not flying, he made the statement that I, I'm a dead man walking. I'm already considering myself dead. So what can, what can they do to me? And that's how we have to see our lives. I'm already dead. I've already, it doesn't really matter. I've already died to self in that regard. My days, my hours, my minutes are in His hands. And that's how it should be. <coughs> I want to finish my race with joy as an athlete. So let's stay in training. Amen? Finish my ministry with joy as a slave of Christ. To serve the Lord is the greatest joy you can experience. When you lay down your life and you serve others and you give of yourself, that is the greatest joy that you can experience. It is a joy that's not matched by anything else. We are taught that if we really want to enjoy life, then we need to, the more toys we have and the more entertaining time for entertainment we can have, then we'll have joy. You might have happiness, but you won't have joy. Joy comes by serving other people. Paul said, in the present, I've not failed to preach the gospel. I've been obedient to Christ. And I've not 
fail to declare the whole gospel. A lot of guys are taught in seminary, pick five, six, half a dozen things, subjects that you want to focus on, and that let that be your ministry. Don't get off on a bunch of others. Don't be the general contractor, but be specific in three or four areas, and, and you'll, you'll grow your church a lot better. Well, I'm glad Paul didn't take that approach. You give him the whole counsel. Give him the whole... I mean, who... I'm telling you, it, it's not... It's a challenge of my life to sift through the Old Testament uh, genealogies and try to find something there. I mean, it, you know, it's very challenging. But there's always something there. God just didn't have that written down just because, well, we need to fill pages here. There's, there's purpose and meaning behind that. Some of it, that meaning and purpose is, you know, gone now as it pertained to the nation of Israel. But there's still something there that we can grasp. And so going, when you go through that, you can't get, as a teacher of the scriptures, you can't get hung up on one particular subject. It's really a tremendous safeguard for the pastors and, that are teaching the flock. Because you have to teach love, grace, mercy, judgment, hell, lake of fire, the second coming. You gotta cover it all. And so it keeps you centered. That's what that does. Verses and I'll finish here, twenty eight through fifty or thirty eight. His future concerns. Therefore, in verse twenty eight, take heed. Paul looked at his past, he presented a reminder of what he had done. And then he presented where I'm doing right now in the present. But then he looks to the future. I'm not gonna see you guys anymore. So Mark my words. Hear what I'm saying. Take heed to yourselves. We need... I'm not going to be around forever. You guys already know that. You're not going to be around forever. Well, you are, but not here. We need to take heed to ourselves. You never get beyond the basics. We have three enemies that we have to be very careful of. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're never going away. They're always present. As long as we're breathing, we're going to have to have that battle. That is the battle that we fight. Know your enemies on the personal level. Know yourself. Understand your strength. Understand your weaknesses. Know them. Know the enemies without. False brethren. Heretics. Those who would bring false teaching into the church. And actually, I'm going to say carnal Christians. People that are walking in the flesh, they're just not really in the Word. They're not praying. <laughs> Shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. In the ministry, you, you have to sort of like divide things up in your brain. Well, that's just how I think. And you kind of you categorize people. And that's sad, but we just do it. So I'm just being honest, okay? It's, it's not a... It's not a slam on anybody, it's just, it's what we do. You have your A people, you have your B people, and you have C people. And what is that? Well, A people are the people that love you and support the ministry, and they are serving in the ministry right along the side of you, and they're just laying it out there, and a lot of, without pay usually, right? And then you got the B people. They do all of what A does, but they have careers, they have families, they have reasons that they can't just get in there and roll up their sleeves like they would like to, but they're there. And then you got the C people. 
They have no skin in the game. They don't give to the church. They just come and they're like, they want to squeeze you like a sponge, suck out of you as much life as they can, and then go about their business. They're, it's all about them. Unfortunately, there's too many C's. Churches, there's a lot of them. Carnal Christians. You don't have to be that way. They just are. Paul calls them babes. They've just never taken the time to get beyond the milk. They need someone to, you know, break out the pablum and spoon it in there. And Paul really came down, or whoever wrote the Hebrews. Is it about time you should be teachers? Think maybe we can get beyond the basics of, you know, laying out of hands and the resurrection of the dead and some of these other things and, and get into the meat of the word where you begin to study and it ministers to you and then you teach it to other people. There are little people in this church, and I mean in age, little people, my favorite word for children. There are little people in this church that need to be fed the word of God. And some of you, and some of you are not in the room right now, but you might listen to this online, you're called to teach. Teaching is one of the most prolific gifts given to the body of Christ because everyone needs instructions. New believers need instruction. Little people need instruction. Big people need Men need it. Women need it. So God raises up teachers for that very reason. So, he tells them to... Take heed to themselves, take heed to the flock. That's what I just mentioned here. What are the things that we have to be careful of? And I'll close with this. Three things we have to be careful of with the flock. And that is distraction, compromise, and hypocrisy. 2 Timothy 2, 1-7. You can look that up. Distraction, compromise, and hypocrisy. Second Timothy two one through seven. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you've heard among me, among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. If a man strives for the masteries. Yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that labors must first part, be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Notice that the flock is the church of the living God. It's the one that was purchased by Jesus Christ, and it is protected by the Holy Spirit. Endure hardness as a good soldier. You get distracted as a soldier, you're dead. Bullets are flying. You better pay attention. Keep your head down. Know your enemy. Be a good soldier. Don't get distracted. An athlete, you compromise, you break the rules, you don't train, you jump the, you know, the gun, you're disqualified. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These, are, these things are always with us and we must be careful. We must be careful. You compromise, you're going to fall. 
now's not the time to compromise. Endure hardness. Don't get distracted as a good soldier. Those that are striving for the masteries as an athlete, don't compromise. The husband must, husbandman, farmer, must be first partaker of the fruit. As much as it hurts sometimes, the messages that I preach, I have to hear them first. And I get leveled more than I would, would, would like to admit. you got to first bring it. it. I need the gospel of Jesus Christ more than the, the people that I'm ministering to. That is my position. That is, the, that is the, mission, the position that every minister of the word should take. I need it worse than the people I'm speaking to. And it keeps you from being a judgmental hypocrite when you realize you're just as far stuck in the mud as that guy is in the mire. And don't be judging people. Don't be hypocritical. People see right through it anyway. It's, it's a major turnoff, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we could spend together. Thank you for this word that we needed, once again, Lord, to be reminded of what you set forth in the most powerful way, washing feet, being a servant, laying down your life. Lord, help us, give us that same grace that you exemplified as a man. Help us to lay our lives down for one another, for our wives, for our children, for our, our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, for the body of Christ, for you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.